1: You have accessed entry 604.1J0210, certificate number
0: 37614. The Hudson
1: Brothers.
0: Now, I know you are a student of pop music. I am.
1: I'm a, an amateur.
0: Yeah, but. Amateur scholar, you've impressed me many times with your with your deep knowledge of of music, like rock music and and all of its offshoots. Listen,
1: let it never be said that I didn't enjoy rock music. It's yeah. one of the it's one of the great one of the great 20th century genres. Do you think there is any rock music left now or or will there
0: ever will there be rock music going mm, forward? Yes. What does it do now. I mean, why exactly. Would, why would you make why, it?
1: No, there's no reason to make it. Right. But there are still so many people in Brooklyn and, and similar places making it. Yeah. And it'll it'll be fine. It'll never. Yeah. A girl will never scream. People will never show up at the airport again. Right. All that's over. Um, yeah. It's not new, but it'll all be just fine. A lot of it'll be very catchy. Have like mm-hmm. a yeah. lot of good choruses. Mm, sort of. There will be some pretty good guitar work.
0: Yeah, you know, there's
1: amazing guitar work.
0: There are better guitar players now than there have ever been.
1: Our advancements in guitar have been doubling every it's true. five years. I go it's like on chip size
0: YouTube now, and there are 18 year olds. There are a lot of like uh, girl lead guitar players, which there never were in in my era. Right? I mean, there was not. It would you would have been flabbergasted to see an 18 year old. That was probably girl.
1: holding us back. We only had half the candidates were able to play lead
0: guitar. I watched a YouTube video just two days ago of, of like a teenage girl who could play every dime bag Daryl solo <laughs> perfectly and all while looking at the camera with a super placid look of just like, oh, this is what I'm doing and just
1: all over the neck. Some of this is internet. Yeah. I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, one of the first things I saw on Usenet in 1992 were like elaborate fights over guitar tablatures because oh. people were finally able to say, no, this is the tuning. No, this is the tuning. Like, And you could just see how to play whatever. And now it's videos. Now you can watch a video of 20 people trying to play the solo you're trying to play.
0: Well, I read an interview with this girl and she said... Well, the difference is that I learned all of these solos by ear. Mm. And so I was like, what? How could you even differentiate the notes? But I think a lot of it is that there are all these grownups who loved rock music, who introduced their children to it from like a, like a hyper fan perspective when they were three.
1: I have a niece who... Oh, I know. I gave oh, her yeah, some grunge rock stuff. Exactly. Oh, I have another. She knows every Mud Honey B side. I
0: have something for her. Uh, I ordered. Um, I ordered a print from my friend Lance, who was the Pearl Jam official photographer for a long time. Mm. And along with the print that I ordered from Lance, which was not of Pearl Jam, he sent you me.
1: F- you don't have a big Pearl Jam uh, poster framed in your uh,
0: in your den. I don't. <laughs> Uh, But he sent me two, two actual, you know, like original photographs, one of um, Mother Love Bone and one of the, a a shot from the big Pearl Jam concert where Eddie Vedder climbed the, the thing and to get his microphone back, the one that was out at, at, uh, that was out at Magnuson Park or whatever. So I have these two original, like real photos taken by the real dude and I thought of your niece, and I want to bring them to you. That would be perfect. Blow her mind.
1: But you know, for many people, that would be a recipe for utter disinterest. Like uh, the reason why young people want hip hop is because their parents were trying to oh, push tr- rock on them, and yeah. now that their parents are trying to push hip hop on them, honestly, these kids are. It's probably why everybody's going to turn to some kind of weird twee pop that didn't exist before.
0: Yeah, or just glitchy, glitchy loops, man. It's all it's all going to be glitchy loops. Should we do one right now? Should we do
1: a glitchy loop? for the future it's good thanks just sample that
0: just sample that rap over it send it to us no wait don't rap over it like sing super twee vocals over it
1: yeah sing sing vocals about your um serving tea to your dolls but as as a student of pop
0: music and i and i consider myself one too. rock rock music and you know like the The canon that begins in 1955 and goes to what ni- exactly 1995? We were post rock,
1: but we didn't know. Maybe yeah. I mean, we were there for the dying
0: years. It was there. I mean, grunge being the the one that we think of being Seattleites, but af- but post grunge, it there wasn't like a unifying. Rock moment after that, right? Rap no, rock doesn't count.
1: It. Yeah. That was actually And it. then And, oh, and we're and because we're older than that, we also grew up with whoever, you know, the Rolling yeah. Stones or you two or whoever being the biggest band in the world. And I guess I was part of the indie pop uh decade, but that was a specialist. Do you feel you were trying to keep it going or do you feel like you were you actually worked against it? Did no, you I did don't... you bring about the decline of rock?
0: I think at the beginning of Indie Rock, we still believed that there would be a next thing. Yeah. And so we, we and went- And maybe it'll
1: be Bill and Sebastian. Why yeah, not?
0: exactly. Like, everybody's going to love Arab Strap. <laughs> uh, and then about halfway through the Indie years, it was very clear that Indie Pop was never going to take over the world. Uh, Limp Bizkit was on the top of the charts, and that was indefensible by any argument. And so- that was the beginning of realizing like oh we are a we are a scene we are a movement it is global but it's it's a small
1: percentage of the people it will be a a paragraph in the history books yeah also at this time indie rock continued to exist yeah and and at the bottom
0: of the page every once in a while some indie pop band had a hit that kind of crossed
1: over Let's hear it for whatever that Mazda commercial was. Yeah,
0: modest mouse had a song or whatever, but it was never a it was never a thing. And and twenty years from now, I mean, no, no one will remember it. But I do think about myself and about you that anything that happened in the sixties or seventies, we just received through osmosis to to a surprisingly
1: deep degree. It,
0: we did, um,
1: and it seemed to me like it was happening in some. Um, distant Arthurian golden age, even though the Beatles broke up after you were born and just a few years before I was. Right. I was.
0: But you could tell me this, you could probably do an entire omnibus episode on the making of rumors. Sure. And not leave any aspect of the story out. Right. And there's the, there's that depth of kind of, Oh, the Eagles and their relationship with Jackson
1: Brown and Linda Ronstadt, you know, you can you can kind of piece together— You'd have to be a person like us who, like, you know, kind of, you know, n- n- we didn't seek it out, but, you know, you just kind of develop it through reading enough Rolling Stone magazine, right. you know, like—
0: Right. It's interesting enough to us that when somebody—I mean, if somebody came in and started talking about Jackson Brown, I don't <laughs> think I, I would pursue the conversation— but when you realize there's a connection between Jackson Brown and the Eagles, like if you started talking to me about the Eagles, I wouldn't be that
1: interested. But the fact that they all were roommates, you know, it's it, – It was Jan Wenner's dream, right? That, yeah. that, that um for some reason, there would be a magazine that would just be talking about Jackson Brown well into the mid to late 90s. I know. Insane to think. That but it worked. It, it worked. It did. We were all shaped by it. But also the the the
0: kind of relationship between bands and the charts and the fact that Black Sabbath never charted or Led Zeppelin you know they weren't that
1: the, was big for me by the way is like, that right yeah, being the kind of a you know in the same way that like I had a love of baseball that came out of like enjoying keeping score and reading about saber metrics mm-hmm. like I very much loved that my that my music tastes could overlap with numbers and charts and those Fred Bronson books of number one hits. And you'll never guess the story that led to these boots are made for walking (laughs) top of the charts. You know, the reprise was ready to drop Nancy Sinatra, but then like, and to this day I can still talk about that crap could not be less relevant. And the, the internet
0: is great for it because you can look at a chart of every number one hit of 1974. And it's such a fun thing. Time machine. Because, you know, 80% of those songs by heart and you're like, whoa. And then, and then to think that that was on the top of the charts in September and then on September 15th, like that song was at the top of the charts. It's just like a, it forms a part of the, our universe in a way that, that somebody even 10, 15 years younger would,
1: would kind of maybe never have, uh, absorbed there's something very perceptive about that guy in high fidelity arranging all his records autobiographically. Yeah. You know, the order in which he experienced them, not the alphabet or or chronology, but you know, it's the story of his life. And in, I, in music form. I, I still
0: make top twenty lists of the top twenty songs of my life, which is such a I thought you were
1: gonna say of the year. And I oh, was like, uh, No, you don't.
0: No. I couldn't. If you played me a top twenty of 2021 i don't know what i would think
1: i don't know what i would think you could not i bet you couldn't pick the the if i had made some kind of thing you could not pick the real songs from the fake ones i think if i were to you know if i if i put 10 real hits of 2021 and 10 careful or funny pastiches
0: yeah yeah no i don't think i would and what's funny is in 2010 i still knew every song so and I had since 1978. So yeah, I just hit a I hit a threshold where either I could no longer assimilate new music or from my perspective it was indistinguishable from what had come before. So every song I heard I just was like, "Oh, this is that." I think it was for me. It's when
1: Casey Kaysen died. That's my day the Music
0: died. <laughs> I couldn't tell you anything about the top forty. I couldn't
1: tell you anything about top forty radio. Yeah, from then on.
0: Yeah, I guess, and and some of it is I don't understand the I don't understand the band that influenced the band that influenced this band. So what I hear is oh this is this is a melody that originated with the band Chicago. In 1972, but it's been through seven bands by the time it got to this band. They're not aping Chicago. They're aping uh,
1: some 2014 band, yeah. and, I'd, um, and I got lost somewhere along the line. And there may not be melody at all. I mean, to be a music fan today, you might have to be, in, to some degree, at some level, over the idea that melody is what powers popular music, which we always assumed was true.
0: Well, and I listen to it now, and I really hear that it's all loops. Because that's the way that people compose. You know, Mm -hmm. you put a little thing down, a little glitchy loop, and then you compose a song over it, and that's not how songs were composed before, you know? And what it does is it eliminates the chord changes that distinguish a solo or a bridge because you can put changes, but they're always over the...
1: Yeah. the the going work loop. if it actually progressed.
0: And so there's there's a kind of monotony or or drone to it, which I find appealing, but it's but there's never that like Carpenter's era shocking chord change where the only like, music today whoa. was as
1: shocking as the Carpenters.
0: You know, if you listen to the song Rubber Band Man, like the chorus just comes out of nowhere relative to the verse. And it's just exciting, you know. It's exciting because it's like well, key change, and that that that's that's often missing in contemporary music. But I don't think prior to my research that you could have convinced me that there was that there was uh, a '70s band that had any kind of notoriety or or public presence. That I didn't, hadn't heard, yeah. you know, I was listening to the radio, uh, all through the 1970s. I heard every song that, that troubled the charts, but also just in the subsequent decades, just my time watching the old gray whistle
1: horse and the, you know, all the that old stuff. old gray whistle horse? <laughs> is that what you called american bandstand or uh american or, or bandstand. 120 minutes yeah you know like
0: all that stuff I like I've gone back in I've watched all of the Bee Gees, uh early works like it, it's just a kind of it's just like watching videos of tractors yeah I've, uh, yeah
1: I've, I have watched a lot of shows that I don't think actually exist hullabaloo and uh you yeah. know all these yeah, right. All, all these British shows that pop stars were on, all these 70s variety shows. And
0: every episode of of Dick Cavett where he's talking to uh, Charlton Heston
1: about what right. he thinks about the Vietnam War. It's possible that I've seen more Dick Cavett clips than my parents have at this point. Yeah, right, right. But, in fact,
0: I discovered a new band. Congrats. Thank you. Um, and it's a band of brothers. Is it? The Jonas Brothers? It's a family band very, very like the Jonas Brothers. Is and it Hanson? It is very, it is very like the Hanson Brothers. They are the the pre the pre-brothers. They're the precursor of the Hansons the, and the Jonases. They're the Er Hansen. They are the Hudson
1: Brothers. That does not sound like a band. The Hudson Brothers. Bill Hudson, Brett Hudson, and Mark Hudson. It sounds the Hudson brothers. Sounds like I don't even know what it sounds like, a, like a cracker company or a yeah the vacuum Hudson, repair store. The Hudson Hudson brothers. It sounds, industri- it sounds industrial.
0: Yeah, it does. Right, Hudson brothers. They make uh, they make uh, turbo incubulators.
1: If I was their um and R guy, I think I would say please change your name to even just Hudson might be better.
0: Well. Uh, you're not wrong because the Hudson brothers went through several permutations, uh, over the course of their years and, uh, and had several different names. Um, Brett and Bill and Mark were born in sort of peak baby boomer years, 49 through 53 and, uh, born in Portland, Oregon. Oh, not a place that you think, uh, Produces a ton of not in that era of uh, the big stars. They don't come out of. The, I mean, I Portland. guess The
1: Ventures out of Tacoma, but there's not a lot of other boomer era music. Well, Louis Louie came out of Tacoma. Um, I don't think people know that. uh Yeah, I mean, there there Paul was Paul and the Raiders. Eventually, there was a Northwest
0: scene, and it was like a lot of uh, American music scenes at the time, very regional. There were regional charts. There were big regional DJs. And the Hudson brothers came up in that era. And when they were still pretty young, mid-60s teens, they started a a, a band together, initially called My Sirs. My Sirs? My Sirs.
1: What is, M-Y-S-I-R-S? Yes.
0: My Sirs. These are My Sirs. Maybe
1: it was something their mom... Called them? There is no era where that's a good band name. Hello, <laughs> that, that would be weird if you're a 50s doo-wop band, and it would be weird <laughs> if you're a 2010s uh, noise pop band. These are my little sirs, I'm
0: sure their mother Did, once said.
1: Are they like the Osmonds? They wear sailor suits on on uh, on Ed Sullivan? They look pretty Osmondy,
0: actually. Um, and then they were hired by a local Chrysler dealer to perform at the debut of the, the new 60s model Chrysler's. Yeah. And so they changed their name to the New Yorkers and performed under the New Yorkers, uh, f- at least for the extent of this Chrysler ad campaign they're, for some Portland They're kind dealer. of
1: becoming a duop group somehow.
0: And you think about, uh, of, of all the bands that could plausibly call themselves the New Yorkers, a group from Portland in the 60s, <laughs> that's pretty far. Uh, that's pretty far. Guarantee you know. they'd never been to New York. Uh, and then they changed their name to Everyday Hudson. Everyday Hudson. Everyday Hudson. It's like a, a car tagline or something. And then eventually just Hudson. See, that's good. Hudson is is better than my sirs. But they, had, um, they were popular regionally. They were kind of, you know, a bubblegum pop. Vocal trio, not, um, not doo-wop, but, but very Beatles-y kind of, um, they played guitar and they did, it was soft rock. We're up to the, we're up to the late sixties by now. Well, yeah, mid, mid to late sixties. They were signed, uh, initially to Scepter Records and put out a single or two that didn't really trouble the charts. Um, you know, Scepter had a long history in the 50s and 60s kind of debuting I don't know scepter Well th- we're going to hear from a lot of record labels in this story Don't research them all Uh but you know are you looking at scepter right now Yep Scepter The King The Kingsmen the, speaking of Louie Louie
1: were right. on Scepter it Looks like they must they must have been around for a while cuz you get BJ Thomas Dion Warwick
0: Yeah Scepter actually you know play, played a role in the in the
1: American music culture The guess who The Isley Brothers
0: uh and then they actually uh they actually signed to Jordan Records who had the Kingsman's – they they were the one that put out Louie Louie Jordan is that a north? it's not a northwest label, it's a northwest label. oh it is okay yeah. um and all, and they were putting out singles um that got played on Portland Tacoma and Seattle radio stations uh and they would do you know, regional appearances Throughout the late '60s, for a while they signed to Warner Brothers. They were on Decca. All of these were uh, were situations where a um, an A guy would be at an event, would be at a concert. He'd see these three handsome young brothers who had uh, melodious voices and sang close harmony.
1: They were they were good looking and kind of a wholesome.
0: Yep. A wholesome way, Osmondy way, Teen and Idly way. So they'd get signed by an A R guy, and they'd put out a single, and the single would not particularly trouble the charts. They, you know, they would kind of get played on regional radio, but never caught fire anywhere. Never produced a record contract that was like a four album deal or anything like that. Um, they were, like I say, on Decca. And um then they got signed to Playboy Records and put out a song called Leave and It's Over. And Leave and It's Over made it to um 110. Just under the The, top one. What do they call that? The bubbling under?
1: Yeah, the bubbling under charts. I didn't know the 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 Hot 100 had an underbelly. It but, does, but it yeah. does the
0: bubbling under because you don't want to get to 110 and just be like, sorry, you know, also Rand. There's a bubbling under chart, but it does
1: mean somebody's counting all the way down to 200 or so.
0: Well, yeah, and there is a top 200 yeah. even, and um, and 110 you can often launch from 110 and and the following week be at 65, at which point you're uh, you're a contender. You're bubbling over. You're
1: bubbling over. Put a lid on that. Turn down the heat to a gentle simmer. <laughs> Casey Kasem might say. So now we're in the uh, early
0: '70s in our story, and um, because they had a, a bubbling under hit, Leave and it's over. You know they're getting they're getting bigger gigs, opening for touring bands, and they open for uh, a handful of national acts. And at some point, are seen by Bernie Toppin, songwriter of Elton John's
1: collaborator.
0: Bernie Toppin thinks that they are, you know, they're an undiscovered
1: um, potential smash. Why would you know? This is the Bee Gees, basically. Bernie Toppin's not a producer or anything. He lucked out in that Elton John happens to like his weird (laughs) overwritten lyrics, Uh right? Yeah. Bernie Toppin's not any kind of rock or pop tastemaker. Well, no,
0: but, but uh, by 1973, Ber- Bernie Taupin has uh, the affliction that all successful music people have, which is that they are a genius and they do uh, need their own record label. And he and Elton did have their own record label in the mm. early 70s called Rocket Record Company.
1: Rocket, like Rocket Man. Uh-huh.
0: And so Bernie signed uh,
1: Hudson to the Rocket Record Company. The history of rock is just guys named Bernie signing signing young people. Signing
0: guys named Hudson. Signing
1: young people's lives away.
0: And if you think about it, you know, the Bee Gees are – Sure. Have had their – Three brothers. Their first big blast of hits. And the Bee Gees also, you know, pre
1: Pre – Pre-disco there. Pre-disco. They're they're celebrities, certainly (laughs) – Big uh, quasi-British invasion band, right? Britain by way of Australian invasion band. People are
0: curious about who Robin is dating and who Maurice is dating. You know, they're in the tablets. I, I'm
1: curious about that, too, even the ones that are dead. I'm more curious now. Who Robin is dating Is now? one of them dating <laughs> Madame Pompadour in heaven? Uh, no way to know. C'est possible? Is it possible that now we know which of them is um, not strictly straight and mm. is dating René Descartes? They all seem pretty straight.
0: Uh, can, even considering how because they're balding? Much they were denigrated. Not all balding no, people are straight. Just based on who they dated. Oh, but you're right, they might be dating, you know, Caesar. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> right now.
1: It's a near certainty <laughs> that at <laughs> least one of the Gibb brothers is dating, dating Caesar,
0: the ghost of Caesar. So Bernie signs them and um and produces uh some some tracks for them. Those tracks don't uh, race to the top of the charts either, but be- because Bernie and Elton are behind them, they um, they get into the the larger mix of seventies rock pop culture, and their sound at this point is very very Beatles George Harrison. Post Beatles career, ELO, adjacent lush um, vocal pop. Uh, it's very warm and mellow and inviting.
1: That's what we all wanted back then. They're super mellow, especially those of us that were smoking a lot of grass.
0: They're 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 super cute. Mark uh, the the. They look
1: kind of non-threatening, but not yeah. too non-threatening. They're trying to thread the needle.
0: Mark is the second oldest, and I think he wears a mustache, which sets him apart. Um, You know, in the Bee Gees, in the
1: Jonas Brothers, in the... There's definitely a Paul McCartney cute one, and then like two kind of... Yeah, there's always... Two kind of musician-looking ones. There's always in these bands one really cute one,
0: one kind of cute one, and then one brother that is a little horsey-faced.
1: Uh, but they're all you could like repopulate every human facial feature from like a bad finger yep. cover you right. know like they're they span all the facial eccentricities that exist that existed at the time at least in britain yeah which is really a hotbed for facial eccentricity well these are these are americans right
0: so they look american too don't they i mean there's something they, do. they just yeah.
1: look like um you know the the sitcom kid that actually grew up to be a little awkward looking.
0: Yeah, there you go. That's exactly right. Um, and if they had had a number one hit, I mean, you can look, you can think right now, picture the guys in Blue Oyster Cult. I always am. There are there are more than one of them that you can actually picture their face just sitting here, right? <laughs> you know every member of Led Zeppelin as though they were relatives. So if the Hudson brothers had had a number one hit, maybe we would think of them differently. Right. Like Christopher Cross isn't that handsome.
1: Who's the quiet one? Who's the... Exactly. Yeah. You know, John, I deal in answers and questions for a living. I know you do. In that order.
0: I have a lot of questions about how that happened for you. (laughs) It's a little weird. (laughs) And you have so few answers.
1: That's because generally I have the answer first and then... Oh, sure. ...the question. Sure, sure, of course. But, uh... You know, it's, it sometimes can be difficult to hunt down answers to questions. You're on the internet. You've got a real-life question like, how do I find real candidates to fill these job openings that have the right skills? Isn't that the kind of thing you're often wondering as you're Googling?
0: It is. And, you know, I've hired a lot of people in my day uh, to work for— um, To work in your Tanzanite minds. Yeah, and to work for the Roderick Group. And— um, I've had very mixed results. I don't really know how to get the right candidates for the job. It's su- the the Roderick Group is a very specialty operation.
1: You're always, you know, firing people from uh, from Waystar Rodco. Yeah, throwing them off the throwing them off the the the, the observation platform on the hundred eighth floor.
0: We have a lot of government contracts. The Roderick Group uh, that you know that I'm not allowed to really talk about, but so my employees have to be
1: pretty specialized. I mean, do you have a solution to this problem? Let me recommend to you Indeed. Indeed. The Rodger Group needs Indeed to be its hiring partner because it's one-stop shopping for attracting, interviewing, and hiring new talent all in one place. But I'm not an expert at this. Is there, is there some learning curve where
0: I have to figure out how to do a whole process? No.
1: With, uh, with Indeed's Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates, and you don't pay unless they meet the must-have requirements you've posted for your Rodri Group jobs.
0: But aren't there a ton of job sites that offer these services?
1: Why would I choose Indeed? Indeed does it all. They deliver four times more hires than all other job sites combined. John, so, you, so you don't have to sit around posting on multiple sites. Let the talent come to you with Indeed.com. They'll partner with you on every step of the hiring process, all the way through assessments, virtual interviews, everything till they come on board. Indeed is there for you.
0: Well, I'm ready to start hiring right now, but I'd I'd like a little enticement. And I know Omnibus often offers futurelings a
1: special deal. Poof. What if we sponsored some kind of job credit? Would that be Would that m- wiggle the dial, as it were, for
0: it, you? It would. I kind of feel like uh, that's that's a that's pretty special. What What are we going to offer? You'd probably be pretty impressed if it was like a
1: twenty five dollar sponsored job credit. Yeah, that would that get me off the stool. You'd be even happier if it was a fifty dollar sponsored Come job credit. Come on, who can afford to to pass this opportunity up? You know what? I'm going to sweeten the pot further. Even though you've just said you would be happy with the lower numbers, I am not. I don't know why I'm doing this. What are you going to do, moneybags? I want you to start hiring right now. I'm going to offer a $75 sponsored job credit for anyone who upgrades their job post at Indeed.com Omnibus. This offer is valid through March 31st. So go to
0: Indeed.com Omnibus to claim your $75 credit
1: before March 31st. That's correct. Indeed.com slash Omnibus. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
0: Well, so now the story gets a little complicated, and I wasn't able to uh, uh, find for sure the answer to this question. But on the internet, there are a lot of people who say that the Hudson Brothers' big break came in 1974 when they, as a result of their relationship with Bernie Taupin and, and their... Bubbling under the charts, appeared
1: as guests on the Sonny and Share show. Now there's This a, was a golden age of of bands coming to your living room that way. That's right. No music videos. You'd have to wait for somebody to go lip sync with the Smothers Brothers or Johnny Cash or something. But there
0: were a ton of variety shows that featured a band. And it wasn't like a talk show that had a band. It they would show up and they'd do some skits. And, you know, Ruth Buzzy would, would slide by on a skateboard and Sonny and Cher would do a song with you, Dean Martin. Now there's a minority position on the internet that they did not actually appear on the Sonny and Cher show in 1974.
1: Oh, it's not clear whether they, how can this be lost?
0: Well, the, ma- the majority opinion is that they did because this explains their subsequent success. Is this some Mandela effect there? This band you haven't heard of may not have been on the show you've never seen. There are some people who contend they did not. Mm. And this is the this is one of the the instances where um it casts doubt on the entire Wikipedia enterprise. Because in a single paragraph on Wikipedia, um let me see if I can If I can read it to you. Uh, here it's the second, second paragraph of the teen idols section of Wikipedia's entry on the Hudson brothers. After they appeared as guests on the Sonny and Cher show in early 1974, a producer for CBS was impressed by the brother's stage presence.
1: Later on in the same paragraph, Multiple editors here, a problem that Britannica, for example, does not have. Although,
0: stated above and incorrectly ex- accepted <laughs> as fact, the Hudson Brothers never appeared on the Sonny and Share show in early 1974. Why would you just not edit the entry? <laughs> the only appearance by the Hudson Brothers on Sonny and Share was October 31st, 1976.
1: Look, if the test of a first-rate intelligence is being able to hold two opposing ideas in mind at the same time, then this paragraph is everything that is great about the internet. This paragraph is more evolved yeah. than the rest of Wikipedia. It's it's wonderful to it's think teach that, the
0: controversy. that Wikipedia is so diverse. Um and then uh, you know in doing subsequent research I was not able to um to reconcile these two positions. But I'm going to go with the fact that they did appear on the Sunny and Chair show and the producer of uh, an ABC producer was impressed by their stage presence because it's the only thing that account that can account for mm-hmm. the following phenomenon, which is that uh, – oh, I'm sorry. It was CBS, a CBS producer.
1: The Tiffany Network.
0: CBS, on the basis of their appearance or ghost, ghostly appearance – on the Sunny and Cher show. Schrodinger's variety show. Thought, wow, these three brothers who have been bubbling under the pop charts for a decade by this point really have what it takes. They've got the showbiz vibe and they were offered a
1: show of their own, the Hudson Brothers show. Despite never having had any. Musical success. They seem ready for TV.
0: No super-duper
1: hits, but they had
0: a lot of charisma with Sonny and Cher. They did some comedy bits, and they just seemed like— I mean, this was the era of, let's put them on TV, see what happens. Sure. Um, And so they got a uh, a late summer
1: kind of replacement slot. That's a result of youth culture, by the way. That whole, let's put them on TV and see what happens. It's middle-aged people realizing we have no idea— what teenagers will want? Let's just try a bunch of stuff because right. we don't have any any metric or heuristic.
0: And this is post monkeys. It's um, it's prime years of uh, Brady Bunch and Partridge Family. The idea of teen, uh, teen pop musician types being on TV. It was, a, it was a genre, right? And the brothers at this point are in their early 20s, um, early to mid-20s. And so the Hudson Brothers show debuts at the end of July in 1974 and runs to the end of August 1974, so just a month. But it's a hit with the kids. It's, it's a Wednesday night show. And so CBS gets psyched about it. And – Signs them to do a Saturday morning show. So they don't know what to do with it exactly. It's a cartoon? But put it on with the cartoons. Are they going to solve mysteries? And they give them a show called the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show. It's the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show. Starring Bill, Mark, and Brett, the Hudson Brothers.
1: Weren't they already having some Razzle and even some Dazzle in primetime? They did have Razzle Dazzle for that month I in primetime. I bet they had some like glitter sequins on their big collared yes, shirts. they did. And then, then
0: Saturday morning, it was like, maybe this is for uh, slightly older kids that have graduated from Scooby-Doo. Now, what's crazy to me is from September of 1974 to... August of 1975, there was no one more watching Saturday morning television than me. That was sure. That was highlight me. of the week. Sure. I was between six and seven and was planted. And I have no recollection, none at all, of the Hudson
1: Brothers Razzle
0: Dazzle show.
1: Uh, I don't either. I'm starting to think this is a Mandela effect where I came from the universe where the Hudson Brothers don't exist. They had two successful television shows? Yes. Well, so far in our story. Only only
0: two so far. Who knows what'll happen next? The same month that the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle show debuted, uh, they now signed to a new record label, Casablanca, which famously produced the Bee Gees, uh, so, you know, a few years later. I mean, the disco Bee Gees. Yeah. So far, they've been on Scepter, Jordan, Warner's, Decca, the Playboy record label, Rocket Records, and now signed to Casablanca, they released a single, So You Are a Star. And this was the single that got the highest for them. Little bit of a little bit of foreshadowing. This is their big hit. It got to number 21 on the charts. Oh, that's, and
1: that's, that's legit.
0: When I listened to You Are So You Are a Star. It felt extremely familiar because of all the E-L-O-E sounds.
1: But you were sure you'd never heard the song.
0: But I do not recognize the song. Hmm. And it's funny because the chorus comes in and it feels so familiar that I felt like, "Whoa, well, oh, this is, I have heard this. This is going to deliver me to the payoff where I go, oh, it's this song. But it took me to a different place I didn't recognize. (laughs) So I don't think, even from a passing car, that I actually heard So You Are a Star. But it went to 21. And then on Casablanca, they released what would now be their second record after the one uh, on the Bernie Taupin label. Uh, And their second LP was called Totally Out of Control. Wow. Uh, and totally out of they're, control. They're kind of bad boys now. They are. And it, they're getting a little bit uh, – they're getting a little heavier because the tone of rock music had started to get a little heavier by sure. 74. Um, it's not so sweet. It's
1: getting a little bit, you know, raunchier. Not raunchy. I mean, a lot of bands that were tr- that tried to do kind of sweet beatles pop at that time famously – washed out at it. Right. And today, we love Big Star and the Raspberries, but nobody was buying those records because they didn't sound like Led Zeppelin.
0: Yeah, I mean, Kiss is out by this point. Like, this is, this is, it's a new moment and totally out of control. uh, Goes totally all the way up to number 179 on the charts.
1: With a bullet. With a very slow bullet, like a Matrix slow motion bullet.
0: Right. Super duper slow motion bullet. Their third record, which comes out really quickly after their second, because they're feeling a, a creative burst. Their, uh, their third record is called Hollywood Situation. Oh,
1: because they're, they're big showbiz stars. Yeah, they're in a Hollywood situation. They know at about this the point. Hollywood situation.
0: Uh, that record gets to 174. And, and, and in a weird quirk... Uh, because the third record comes out so quickly after the second, totally out of control and Hollywood situation are both in the charts at the same time, both in the
1: 170 range. They have a specialty. Hmm. They have a they have a bandwidth of the chart that they specialize in, kind of like the the UHF versus VHF. Right. They're like a 170s band. That's right where they are.
0: And yet they are. Pop culture, they're, they're, they're part of the seventies firmament. They're guests on other programs. They have their own show. They are, uh, uh they're sort of well-known for making appearances. They appear on the Sonny and Cher show again, or some might say the, for the first time in 1976 So they're still really in the mix. Why have we not heard of them? Are there like a hundred bands like this I've never heard of? Well, this was the spooky, spooky thing that hit me like a lightning bolt. Wait a minute. Is there a whole separate universe of bands in the 150s who, who had long careers and made multiple LPs and were
1: on television? And I was watching television. And I didn't notice them. Television was one of my favorite things to watch in the 70s. Big time. Do you think we could start a new career as like rock critics who exhume the the lower reaches of the the top 200? You know, like compilation albums, 33 and a third type criticism, only of albums that never got above 150.
0: I think we could. I mean, the whole Northern Soul movement in the UK... Was, it was sort of um, a product of UK singles collectors who were finding all these unknown
1: soul records that sounded amazing. And connoisseurs, connoisseurship culture loves this. Loves it. When some new, because you've seen all the great works, capital G, capital W, you've seen all the great movies, you've heard all the great bands, you know, you want the little herd Diamonds in the Rough. And these songs, all of them sound
0: great. Like they're, they're just not quite, um, they're, you know, not quite the quality that would put them into, uh, the ranks of,
1: so you're actually thinking they're the they're a step slow. Like, it's not just that this same song in the right place at the right time should have been a number one. It really is like, you can hear that there's a second tier of... What's the difference between a killer chorus and a good chorus? And it's that.
0: It's that. The 70s had so many killer choruses. You know, uh, Baker Street or whatever. How are you going to compare your...
1: How are you going to get a chorus that's as good as Baker Street? You do know when you hear it, and I think you're right that the culture tends to be right about this stuff. Like, do you remember when everyone rediscovered Mr. Blue Sky? Yeah. Because it got used in- Mr. Blue Sky. And everybody just unanimously agreed, yes, we had been underappreciating this song. There's something inherently about its structure and its chorus. And its production, yeah, the um, that puts it a step above other stuff from that time. Even people who had never heard it before, the the Decemberists
0: covered Mister Blue Sky during the period of its resurgence, and must have uh, must have like, I guess, encouraged hipsters everywhere to to think, how did we miss this? This whole time,
1: I thought it was just in an ad or a movie trailer or something, but no, it must have been the Decemberists. Well, if you teaching think, us how to love again. If you
0: think about that, um, the Volkswagen commercial that featured Pink Moon, Pink Moon. Yeah. Uh, turned Pink Moon into a huge hit and Nick Drake into a beloved musical character. When when, when his he,
1: records came out, he wasn't around to enjoy it. No,
0: they sold a uh, hundred copies. It's just all hundred of those people started a band.
1: He's in heaven. In a relationship with Spartacus, and he's probably annoyed looking down on Earth that Volkswagen is finally making him a household name. He's
0: like, pang, 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 pang. But I,
1: I bet a bunch of other people bought that record or, or some compilation record and thought, oh, there's just a lot of other wispy but less memorable things in the same vein. There's a reason why Nick Drake didn't catch up. Well, yeah, but it's
0: crazy that there are five songs off of that record that I know every note of you know those are great choruses all right i'm a post volkswagen nick drake fan
1: you are you actually uh in on the ground floor no
0: i'm a post and the thing is i went back to my uh my friends in pop right and there were um there were guys you know the guys in the posies or the guys in young, fresh fellows all said, yeah, man, Nick Drake, like we've been listening Duh. to him from the beginning and they, and they had. Yeah. Right. Um, but I know, I remember seeing that record on the shelves at a record store in New York with a sticker on the CD that said as heard on the Volkswagen commercial, <laughs> because the first time I saw that commercial, I was, I was bowled over by the sound, mm-hmm. but you know, uh, there was a, there was a, there was a TV uh, a car commercial that had "Mercy, Mercy Me" by um, by Marvin Gaye that also I think reintroduced people to that tune. Now that record was a huge hit in its time, but but kind of like the Blues Brothers, right? They, Fifteen years later, nobody was listening to it. it until that TV commercial introduced it to a new generation of of twenty two year old white kids. But the idea that there's all this music lurking in the nineteen sixties and seventies that we that just got passed over because the level of quality was so high. I think if the Hudson Brothers tunes came out now with a little bit stronger backbeat and maybe like a looped bass line, <laughs> they might be as good as anything on the charts.
1: There's some some polyester line that separates. Yeah. What separates the, the unarchaeologically exhumed records from this time? We need to exhume the polyester casket.
0: Well, they had a couple more uh, singles. <laughs> One of them, Coochie Coochie Coo. This is from the Charo Charo. Featuring Feet Charo? Uh, it got up to 108. And then a song called Rendezvous got as close as any of them to So You Are a Star. Uh, made it to number 26 on the charts. And then they released their fourth LP, Ba-Fa. Ba-Fa. Ba fa which landed right between Totally Out of Control and Hollywood Situation at
1: number 176. I mean, two top 40 hits. Yep, two top 40 hits. Here's a list of bands that never had a top 40 hit. King Crimson, never a single one. Understandable. <laughs> <And> Well-deserved. <laughs> but no, but you wouldn't say that about... But T- Tom Waits or the Ramones or Traffic or Soundgarden or the New York Dolls. You might say it about Humble Pie. Soundgarden,
0: Black Hole Sun didn't get into the top 40. Isn't that 40. crazy? That is crazy. Well, but, Black Sabbath probably never had a top 40 hit, but they were not... None of those bands were operating in a top right. 40 Those were album genre. bands. Right. Yeah. And these guys were top 40 guys, that was, all the way.
1: Should have been their bread and margarine because... Nobody ate butter in
0: 1975. Ken, we're often in a situation where our small business, Omnibus LLC, needs to send a check, specifically to me. And um, We're in and, that
1: situation roughly once a month. Uh, once a
0: month. And, uh, and it, we've had a surprisingly difficult time uh,
1: systematizing our small business checking. A lot of banks don't cater to small businesses because that's not where the business checking value is for them so if you're a small business you you're kind of competing in a space and dealing with products built for maximizing much bigger businesses
0: in our situation it seems like while you and mindy could just put a bunch of cash in an envelope and you could hand it to me a big briefcase full of 20s you really like to send checks and uh and boy i like getting checks don't don't get me wrong.
1: I, I got to say, a real a casualty of the pandemic for me is people not wanting to send personal checks because nobody's in the office to Oh right. To, to sign and mail them. You right. know? So I started getting virtual payments, and it's just not as fun as the occasional freelancer check in the old mailbox. Yeah, I'm walking old. out there like Charlie Brown every day.
0: <laughs> no Valentines.
1: No Valentines again.
0: Well, let me tell you about a new option for small business checking. Please do. It's called Novo, N O V O. They've built a new kind of
1: business checking uh, that specializes in small business checking. Wow. That mm-hmm. would mean for me that would mean no minimum balances, no transaction limits, no hidden fees?
0: Well, Novo is here for you, my friend. You're exactly right. Unlike the traditional banking model, instead of a one-size-fits-all approach, Novo is customized to your business to save you time
1: and free up cash flow, which we could use here at Omnibus LLC. That's perfect. Would it integrate with like Stripe or Shopify or QuickBooks Online? (laughs) And more. (laughs) Would it do that seamlessly or fully? (laughs) No, it would be without seams. Seamless. That's what I want because this is not a Mac Weldon ad.
0: No. We want
1: seamless integration.
0: Seamless. I don't know how waterproof Novo is, but they are seamless. And now... Omnibus listeners can sign up for free and join the community of over 150,000 fearless small businesses who found the
1: customizable business checking solution. To sign up for your free business checking account right now at Novo.co Omnibus. Plus, Omnibus listeners will get access to over $5,000 in perks and discounts.
0: Go to novo.co, that's not .com, leave the M off, .co, which is the URL for the state of Colorado.
1: Yes, I'm sure that's what it is.
0: Novo.co slash omnibus to sign up for free.
1: Novo.co
0: slash omnibus. Novo Platform, Inc. is a fintech, not a bank. Banking services provided by Middlesex Federal Savings, FA, member FDIC terms and conditions apply in 1980 they released uh so they appear again on the sunny and share show and they now switch record labels to arista and put out a record called help wanted which got up to 70 on the charts uh which was you know like it's doing better that was their best charting album uh
1: Seems like it might be.
0: Yeah. It was. And then in 1978, uh, they have another television show. What? This one co-starring with Bob Monkhouse, the British
1: game show host. host. That guy was on Family Feud when I was a kid. Well, their version of it.
0: He so his game shows that he hosted were not Family Feud but Family Fortunes.
1: Oh, right. They renamed it.
0: And not uh, Hollywood Squares, but Celebrity Squares.
1: They didn't name it after the British version of Hollywood? Which is what? I don't know. <laughs> P- Pinewood Squares? Mayf- Mayfair Squares? No, uh, Bob Moorhouse was a British uh, game show host. You know what he's um, uh, kind of famous for today? He's part of the controversy over who actually wrote the joke, I would like to go quietly like my grandfather in his sleep, not screaming and yelling like the passengers in his car. <laughs> I guess that's often, that's often credited as a Bob Monkhouse joke. But it isn't one? Well, the thing is, in the U.S., we saw it on Jack Handy's Deep Thoughts, and I don't know right. if I don't know if Jack Handy has ever insisted that he wrote that joke or not. It could I be mean, parallel evolution. That's I right. Guess. Total
0: two geniuses came up with it on their own. Could be. Uh, but Bob Monkhouse and the Hudson Brothers uh, co-starred and uh, on a uh, kind of television variety show toward the end of the run of variety shows, kind of Carol Burnett era, nineteen seventy eight, and the show was called Bonkers. Bonkers, starring the Hudson Brothers and Bob Monkhouse. Now, 19- I didn't know anybody tried to make Bob Monkhouse happen in the nineteen seventy-eight. I was ten years old. I was loving television shows that had names like Bonkers, featuring funny skits. Yeah, and it was, uh, it was. I think th- there's a school of thought that says that it was a kind of proto. No, no, no. It wouldn't have been proto. It was in the school of Saturday Night Live. It was a little bit, you know, uh, risky fun. There was a group of girls called the Bonkerettes that did Benny Hill type, you know. Um,
1: this is post Living Color girls, post laugh in, but maybe with kind of a British angle. So it was- British comedy had, you know, the success of Monty Python in the US had really kind of changed the potential for that kind of comedy to make it over here. It was, it was uh, filmed in the UK, and unfortunately it didn't
0: get, there was a television strike, and the show kind of got preempted in England, mm. and didn't, uh, its full run was never aired. In the United States, it didn't really trouble the charts. It did air here on network? It did. Okay.
1: Nobody, uh, just nobody watched it.
0: And as a result of that level of fame... Uh, now they'd had multiple television shows. This is their third TV show. The Hudson Brothers were uh, featured, like above the title, featured in a film called Zero to 60 that co starred Darren McGavin. Who you may recall as the as the chief the, bad guy in The Natural, the
1: dad. That's how you think of Darren McGavin. <laughs> it is. I assumed I'm, you would be a Kolchak, the Night Stalker guy, because I'm, I'm a dad and Christmas Story guy.
0: Yeah, no, I, I uh, Darren McGavin, of course, is a, is like, a, but I think, I mean, he's a, he's a fixture from my childhood. But I think of him as primarily as the bad guy in The Natural, and then that movie also Zero to Sixty also featured Joan Collins,
1: who and, was who was kind of the. The sexy British flavor of the month, yeah. right? And it
0: has uh, zero to 60 was remade because it is 100% the plot of Repo Man.
1: <laughs> Does Repo Man admit that it's its heritage through zero to 60? I don't know, but you know, huh.
0: um, but zero to 60 featuring the Hudson brothers is definitely like a slapstick kind of comedy. Uh they
1: not n- believe these guys are stars of all media. Yeah, Repo and, Man and I've did, never...
0: <laughs> didn't didn't do it the same. In nineteen eighty, they were guests on Love Boat. Uh they put out a new record in nineteen eighty, now on Elektra. So they've been, on, they've been on every American record. Every label. Uh the new record or the new record in nineteen eighty, they went back to just being called Hudson. So no longer the Hudson brothers.
1: There were They would have been the last band called Brothers, except for maybe the Doobie Brothers, who weren't brothers. Right. And then the Jonas Brothers later. Right. But it, it was out of fashion then to be a, the ex Brothers. They
0: made another film then in the 1980s called Hysterical, which was a- Which wasn't. Which was a horror comedy <gasps> featuring a ghost that haunts a lighthouse where the Hudson Brothers live- And the ghost was played by Julie Newmar.
1: (laughs) At least they got a sexy ghost. (laughs) So... Well, Murray Hamilton plays the mayor. At this point, that would be a takeoff probably on his role as the mayor in the Jaws movies. Right. It's not just a coincidence. That he's uh, the mayor of a town with a lighthouse. Charlie Callis plays Dracula, which would make this his second best lighthouse movie. I'll leave that as an exercise to the viewer.
0: (laughs) Well, eventually the '80s rear their ugly head, and the Hudson brothers uh, break up. They're, they can't break up their brothers. Their brothers, but they they but their music career kind of comes to a um, well. They you know they each decide at this point. I mean, in 1983, they would have now sort of been in their in their 30s. Um, And they each kind of pursue their own career. Mark, who was the mustachioed brother. Mustache Mark. Mark continues in the music business and ends up uh, co-writing Aerosmith's number 18 hit
1: Living on the Edge. Oh, wow. The first Hudson uh, joint I can hum in this show.
0: He uh he produces their record just Push Play, Mark Hudson, and then in the 90s becomes Ringo Starr's butler music director mm. and produces uh like 9 of Ringo's albums in the 90s and 2000s, basically keeping Ringo afloat throughout that entire period. Mark Uh, Produced the 2005 celebrity compilation Tears in Heaven, where a bunch of celebrities, we are the worlded Eric Clapton's uh, homage to his child. No one more deserving. uh, In response to the 2004 tsunami.
1: Wait, it's not a charity record for Eric Clapton? No. It's a charity record for the Indian Ocean tsunami of... December 2004.
0: Okay, so, so the, song, the song transmogrified from being about Eric Clapton's son to being about everyone who died to being in about a tsunami.
1: 100,000 Indonesians.
0: Somehow I didn't really know about that either.
1: I didn't, uh, no, I didn't either.
0: But Mark Hudson had a very varied career in the music industry. He sang backing vocals on Crazy for You by Madonna, <laughs> another song I really <laughs> I know well. He was uh, the comedy next door neighbor on the television show G- uh, starring Gina Davis. Sarah, I don't remember Gina Davis's Again, sitcom
1: attempt. It was only it only ran for a month, 1985. So she hasn't really even broken. I mean, she's been in Tootsie, but you know this is before this right. is before Accidental Tourist and and Fellman uh, Louise and so forth. He was the band leader for the Joan Rivers show. <laughs> really? Yeah. The, the, the highly touted
0: yeah, Fox w- late night show. <laughs> he was, he was her Doc Severinsen. Uh, and then he got a job on the X factor as one of the judges. And he was known on the X factor as weird beard
1: because his beard had, he dyed his beard different colors. So this is just recently. He's, yeah. he's kind of been, and you uh, all know seventies music producer, Mark Hudson, right
0: as weird beard. And he's judging X factor, uh,
1: contestants
0: and as a result of that he wrote the song chico time for x factor winner chico slimani which went to number one in the uk his first number
1: one hit i can't believe this is real is this the is, let's see when will this air okay this is you're a month you're a week early for the april 1st show Two two months two weeks early for the April first.
0: Well, maybe maybe you should put it. Maybe we should switch it around so it's <laughs> April Fool's.
1: But it's real. You're not going to reveal at the end of this that none of this happened. No, it's not some Forrest Gump type Z League figure.
0: Um, the youngest brother Brett became a television producer and produced a Current
1: Affair. E <laughs> the '90s era half hour kind of scandal heavy TV news magazine. Right.
0: Um, he wrote the Burt Reynolds vehicle, Cloud 9.
1: I have no memory of the Burt Reynolds vehicle, Cloud Co-produced 9. Co-produced a Burt Reynolds late, 90, late period. 90s era Burt Reynolds movie? Yeah. Post-cop and a half?
0: La- late period Burt Reynolds, post, post-facial
1: post surgery Burt Reynolds. 2006. Wow. Hulian, pretty, Paul per- Rodriguez.
0: pretty close to the end of Burt's career. And life. And then, um, And then produced fairly recently, 2013, less than 10 years ago. Uh, the stoner comedy, Hansel and Gretel get baked. <laughs>
1: <What>? <laughs> it's really called Hansel and Gretel get baked? Hansel and Gretel get baked. Famously, they do not get baked. The witch gets baked. The only important thing about Hansel and Gretel is that they will not get tricked into an oven. That's the only reason we know about them. Right. I and assume that's the joke of the title, it's but come on. gotta be,
0: um... It's got to be the joke, and yet, mm, yeah, it's not a great joke. <laughs> but you know, Han- Hansel and Gretel get baked, and this maybe says a lot. Um, it starred Molly Quinn and Laura Flynn Boyle.
1: <laughs> Laura Flynn Twin Peaks Boyle
0: Carrie Elwes is in the movie, and uh, uh, so and. I should say all the Hudson brothers are still alive and still working. So they And
1: probably is listening to this.
0: There and one of their children listening to it, probably almost certainly. And hopefully one of their children uh, listening to this will be will reach out to us and contact us. Because Bill, the cute one, mm-hmm. the star, if you will, of the band, or the one that was kind of the most Star-ish.
1: The Tiger Beat Ready member.
0: Um during his 70s heyday, during the Hudson Brothers' run, uh he initially kind of had a celebrity relationship with Jill St. John. Hmm. Jill St. John being a you know a seventies pinup star.
1: And, and maybe Robert Wagner X yeah. or yeah. maybe future. When were they married? Oh, only in the nineties. Oh, okay, never mind. She uh she was formerly in the sixties. Married to um, Jack Jones, the uh, the pop singer. Yeah, Jill St. John, you know, TV f- themes. famously beautiful and smart. She's like the smart bombshell of that period. Like, doesn't, isn't she always like, and she has a 170 IQ or something? Oh, isn't, yeah, isn't and that, has a degree in physics. Isn't that always, isn't that the thing about Jill St. John? Maybe I'm making this up, but if, mm-hmm. if, if I am, I, I'm okay with saying nice things about Bond girls they yeah. didn't deserve. She was a Bond girl? Yeah, yeah, diamonds are forever.
0: Oh, there you go. Um, he also dated Ali
1: McGraw. Wow, he's really punching above his weight, there, isn't he?
0: Um, it, but punching above his weight doesn't even begin to uh, to encapsulate his his romantic life. Okay. Because in 1976, he marries Goldie Hawn.
1: Really. When Goldie Hawn was at the top oh, of her career, okay. I just, I, I now realize I know this band exists. His
0: children include Oliver Hudson and movie star Kate Hudson.
1: Okay, I'm so, I'm so relieved at this point that I'm not from the universe where the Hudson brothers don't exist because I did know about Goldie Hawn's musician pre Kurt Russell musician husband. Yes, he was in a he was in a variety show pop trio yes
0: who knew well we all do now every every omnibus futureling knows
1: the, the record has survived to the distant future
0: uh so Goldie and uh, and Bill get divorced and Oliver and Kate are raised by Kurt Russell and um, and Bill Hudson kind of Uh, claims or famously sort of agitates that Goldie and Kurt estranged him from his children and kind of kept him from playing a larger role in Oliver and Kate's life. And only in recent years have they reconciled. Um, After he and Goldie Hawn divorced in 1980, he married Cindy Williams
1: of Laverne and Shirley. Wow. This guy, this guy made a list. In 1975, (laughs) and he methodically marched through it. And he
0: and Cindy Williams were married until the year 2000. They also have two kids. Huh. And Bill continued to appear on television and in films in increasingly bit parts. Um, I think most prominently, he was uh, on three episodes of Doogie Howser, MD. Do you
1: think... The Hudson brothers are listening right now because this is the longest anyone has talked about them <laughs> possibly ever. I I
0: did a show uh, on a different podcast several years ago where I mentioned Captain and Tennille and talked about Captain and Tennille being kind of influential on me as a kid. And I heard from Tony Tennille, mm. who's... Uh, daughter or niece was a, uh, listened to the show and contacted Tony and said, "You got to hear her. he talks about Tony, uh, Captain Ateniel," and she sent me an autographed photo from the time when they were called, you know, the the Dragon family or something like that. And she sent me a bunch of like memorabilia and signed lyrics, and I kept in touch with her for a while.
1: Did you do this whole show just in hopes of getting a signed Jill Saint John headshot?
0: What I'm hoping is that somebody listening to the program knows the Hudson brothers or some combination. Of, I've been wanting to marry Kate Hudson, and it's all, ever all the way back to almost famous. I think, I think I missed my chance because she married a weird beardy rock star. But the wrong one. The wrong one. Um, but no, I'm hoping that that some relative of Allie McGraw or Cindy, some child of Cindy Williams is listening to the show <laughs> and can put us in touch with the Hudson brothers because I, I really want to laud them for the incredible impact they made on 70s pop culture.
1: It's time to bring them back. It's time for the Hudson-sense. It's a Hudson-sense. I think you and I should – we should start that record
0: label. We should start that – we should write that 33 in a third book.
1: And that concludes the Hudson brothers entry 604.1 J 210 certificate number three, seven, six, one, four in the Omnibus. Um, you're obviously going to want to contact us, uh, uh, Hudson's and your legal representatives. You can do so. You can find us on social media at Ken Jennings at John Roderick jointly at Omnibus project. We were at the Omnibus project at gmail.com. Uh, you could send us physical items. Um, you know, send us your old sequin vests. Sure, send us your Hudson Brothers singles. Send us your Mustache Wax to PO Box five five seven four four, Shoreline, Washington nine eight one five five. You can find fellow uh, connoisseurs of the Omnibus Project, some of whom I'm sure are Hudson Brother fans and are shocked at my ignorance. Um, you can find them by looking for the Futurelings on Reddit and Discord and so on. We need and appreciate your support. Uh, If you are just stricken by guilt that you have been uh, sucking off the content teat, as it were, of omnibus for years. Rightfully so. And your, uh, your uh, aunt, your great aunt just died in her uh, estate home in Sussex. And left you some doge coin. And, uh, and you would like <laughs> to <her> <laughs> and your budget allows you now to support the omnibus project good news you can do so and you'll receive many amazing perks for your support you can read more about that at patreon.com/omnibusproject
0: future links from our vantage point in your distant past before we started a record label that resurrected uh, hits from the bubbling under chart
1: forgotten near hits of the 60s 70s and today
0: We have no idea how long a civilization that would care at all existed. But we hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come and that people will continue to discover the music of the 70s well into the next century. If the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.